Welcome to this message from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon. City Bible Church is a vibrant community of people with one common desire to experience God, enjoy people, and celebrate life. We're talking this morning about faith to receive. That's the name of the message this morning, faith to receive. We're going to take up from where we left off in the last service as we're talking about giving. This is actually the last message I'll do this season, this November month, as I told you. I would do four weekends on giving, which I've done, and Faith Harvest, which we've done, and that will continue now as far as the giving up through the end of the year. And uh, many of you have yet to get involved, and I believe you will get involved because it's a great season for us to be involved and to move forward as a congregation, not to watch the congregation move forward, but to be the congregation as we move forward. As we move forward in the faith harvest, we're giving toward your future, our future, and our children's children's future. What we do right now affects everybody. Our faith harvest is a great time because we happen to raise thousands of dollars that goes into a number of ministries, both locally, nationally, internationally. As we plunge into another campus, there's a big part of this that's going to go to help Vancouver get off the ground, but also a number of other ministries in our church and outside of our church. We sowed uh, $65,000 last weekend into about seven different countries. I got emails back uh, from almost all of them already, and they are so blessed. The uh, Malaysian uh, pastor. Is a, these are ministries out from us that we support and oversee. Uh, they emailed back and they put the money we sent them uh, down payment on a building that they're believing for. Somebody shout hallelujah. That's an awesome thing for them. Got an email from Samuel. Did you read the email from Samuel? Uh, Samuel Gorey and his wife are just two of the most wonderful people in the whole world. Uh, Pakistanian. They have five churches, churches in Pakistan, but they can't live there because their life would be in threat. And so they live in Canada right now and started a church in Toronto to support their five churches over there. And that's what he does. Matter of fact, he doesn't even take a salary from his church in Canada. He drives a shuttle bus during the evenings from the airport to support he and his family so he can give everything to the churches in Pakistan. This guy is a true, dedicated disciple of the Lord Jesus. He loves his churches in Pakistan. Uh, We sent him also a seed gift of several thousands of dollars. And uh, he received my email right after he received a letter from his five churches with a list of all the stuff they needed in their churches, from chairs to heaters to mats to go on the floor. People are sitting on the dirt and winners come in and all kinds of stuff. They gave a list. Well, our seed money will take care of most of Samuel's list. So he was absolutely, totally overjoyed with our church sewing into it. He received the letter and the email almost at the same time, sitting there praying about it. And up pops on his computer a Frank Tamazio email and says, what is Pastor Frank emailing me for? He said, this must be a dream. And so he opened the email and here's our offering. And he just broke down and wept. He said, I can't believe how the Lord provides. Isn't it great that we have something to give away? It is so great to be able to give and to have faith to receive. Now, let's go through the slide this morning. Supernatural. I gave you a couple of points last week I want to go over right now. First of all, supernatural declaration. This was our declaration in the last service. I will believe and reach out for supernatural provision by moving my faith beyond the natural mind limitations. You will never live by faith if you only live in your mind. You'll never live by faith if you only listen 
to your mind. To move into the supernatural realm, you have to go beyond your natural thoughts, your natural emotions, and what you do in your own core personhood as a person that maybe might be separated sometimes from that core personhood of God in you, that part of you that is the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart, or that natural man that says, keep it, don't give it, uh, don't share the gospel, don't pray for that, God's not for you. That's the natural man lying to you. There's a core spiritual man in you through the Word of God that speaks truth to your heart and you need to listen to the faith in your heart and the faith in your heart will move you into another realm supernatural i gave you four thoughts one is moved from the impossible to the possible that is your thought process changes you don't use the word impossible about everything in your life you start using the word possible it could be it might be it maybe can happen it might happen it's a possibility god is big enough to do this and so you have a possibility mindset second is you move from your thoughts to god thoughts a god thought goes with a god word goes with the word of god as you begin to think the word of god you open up to faith in the living God. Third, you move from lack and limitation to supply and plenty. Remember this. A person can have a scarcity in a country that has abundance. You can have a scarcity spirit, a scarcity mindset, a lack and limitation mindset, no matter where you live. You can have a person of absolute vigorous growing faith who lives in a country that has hardly any resources, hardly any natural things to draw from, but they have a faith that just grows in God because they live not by what they see, but by what they believe and their faith grows and they can actually call in their provision from the provisions of God because they don't have a scarcity spirit. We can have a scarcity spirit, even though we live in America where there's abundance, there's abundance of everything. There's abundance of opportunities. There's abundance for businesses to start. There's abundance for jobs and promotion. There's abundance of investments. There's abundance of ministry to the poor. Uh, there's abundance of ministry to a hundred different kinds of groups. There's abundance of all kinds of things around us. But a person who has a scarcity mentality cannot see plentiful and supply around them. It's a heart attitude. It's something that's in you that you have to change. And that's what I've been preaching for you to do. Move from the natural to the supernatural and expect miracles in your financial world. Now, this is what I'm saying. Great faith for great giving results in great receiving. When you have great faith, you'll move to be a giver, not just of your money. But of your time and your strength and your heart and everything about you, you'll be a liberal person with your life. You know how to plant your life for other people. When you do that, there will result in receiving back what you have sown. If you sow precious time into other people's lives, Christ will sow back into you other precious things. If you sow into someone else's family, Christ will sow back into your family somehow. If you help someone else's teenager, Christ will sow back into your teenager. There's a law of sowing of reaping that goes way beyond just money. It's what you do with your whole life. But as you learn to sow and you learn to reap, there has to be a faith to receive. Now, I'm speaking just about one aspect of that kingdom living. That's the giving aspect of your actual resource and your money because it's scriptural. It's part of the Bible. It's a big part of the themes of the scripture from Genesis to Revelation on how to give. But not just how to give, but how to receive. Now, listen to me. My giving changed when I learned this principle. My whole heart toward tithing, 
toward offerings, toward missions, toward everything I did with my resource changed when I realized I was only living half a faith. Half a faith is I have faith to give it. But I never pray over it. I never expect it to grow. I never expect it to multiply. That's the other half. You can be a great giver and never have a great expectation and you're only halfway there in the kingdom of God. You have to have not only faith to give, but faith to receive and expect it to grow and to multiply. Every time you sow a seed, you must expect God to do something with that seed and you pray over that seed like a farmer who waters and takes the weeds away and prays for the weather and watches over his crop. A farmer doesn't sow and then sit on his rocking chair on the porch and then just expect everything to work out and if it doesn't work out no big deal if the crows come and eat the seed no big deal if the birds attack the crop no big deal if there's worms in the corn no big deal hey god will take care of it that's not the way a good farmer does it a good farmer sows and then he watches over his seed he makes sure that that seed breaks ground he makes sure that seed grows healthily he will spray those crops he will watch those crops he'll put up the scarecrow to get the uh, birds away from the crops he'll do everything to make sure he has the best crop coming in when you sow you have to be like a good farmer that watches over the seed waters the crop does spiritual warfare at times to pray, intercede, stand in the gap for your own investment, whatever that might be, that God will bring a full harvest into your life. Can I hear an amen? amen. Now, Philippians 4.15. Paul speaking to the Philippian church. Now, you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, this is hard to believe that he would write this, but it's in your Bible, it's in mine. No church. Everyone say no church. Wouldn't you hate to be one of the other churches and read the Philippian epistle if you lived in Corinth or Antioch or uh, Thessalonica or somewhere else and you happen to get a hold of the Philippian epistle that Paul sent around to be read by the churches and you were involved with another church and Paul said, No church shared with me concerning giving and receiving. Giving, come on, say it. And But you only. The Philippian church learned the law of rhythm, of sowing and reaping, and giving and receiving. And the Apostle Paul acknowledged that because it influenced his own life. He said, this Philippian church know the principle of giving. And so many people miss this. And receiving. Some of our most famous scriptures are in Philippians. The one we use all the time, my God shall supply is a Philippian scripture. The one about pressing toward the mark because we have an eternal goal is in Philippians. There are so many famous scriptures in Philippians. This is a very special church. And they understood how, not just to sow money, but when Paul was in prison, they sowed people to go minister to him. They sent people to actually go live in the jail with Paul. They were a church that went way beyond. They understood what it meant to be liberal and to be giver and to take care of the apostle and to take care of the poor and how to sow their seed. What a testimony. And Paul says, no church understands this like you folks do. I would like City Bible Church to be a Philippian church. Come on, can I hear an amen out there? I would like our church to be a Philippian church that the Holy Spirit would say, and you know, City Bible Church, they're just like the Philippians. They know how to give and they know how to receive. And when they receive, they don't keep. They start the rhythm all over again. Giving and receiving. 
Psalms 24, verse 5, he shall receive blessing from the Lord. Malachi 3.10, just the one phrase, I know you know this verse, we use it a lot when we preach on tithing, but I want you to notice the last sentence of the verse where it says, blessing, that there will not be room enough, and I want you to note it in your Bible, and I want you to circle the words, receive it. The windows of heaven will be open. And I'll pour out a blessing. But you have to have room to receive it. The giving and receiving rhythm of the kingdom of God. Matthew 21, 22. And whatever things you ask in prayer. Now, you don't have to believe this verse, but I do. When you pray, you've got to believe that you will receive answers. You can't pray and then turn right around and say to yourself, but I know nothing will happen. You can't sow a seed and say, but I know nothing will grow. You can't move in faith and then fight against yourself and say, but I know it won't work out. I know God won't supply. I know I won't get that job. I won't get that promotion. My investment won't turn out. I know my life won't have the resource that I'm praying about. I know I'll never have enough surplus. I'll just have maybe enough to get by. Those are not the right confessions for a person who lives in the kingdom of God and believes that God's going to pour a blessing upon them that they won't even have room to receive. Here's our receiving declaration. I will expect God to provide for me. Everyone say that out loud. I will. God. To. By making room for abundant blessings with open hands and open heart. Seizing by faith and prayer what God purposes to release into our lives. I expect flow. I expect blessing. I expect surplus. I expect more than enough. The reason some people never have an offering to give is they never start sowing soon enough. They're always just behind. They're always behind with their tithe. And this is not a rebuke. I hope you take this from the heart of a father and from the heart of a pastor to teach you how to put your finance in order and to begin to see the surplus and the more than enough begin to turn on your life. If you have $499 and your bills are $499, you don't have anything to give. If you have $499 and your bills are $550, You're going the wrong direction. And every time there's an offering taken, you have a little bit of guilt. You have a little bit of shame. You have a little bit of concern. Or you have a little bit of anger. Don't press me. Don't talk to me about this. I have a lot of needs myself. I'm glad you're helping Pakistan and Uganda and Romania. But you know what? My life has a lot of needs. I want to tell you right now, you can fix the needs in your life if you would learn how to sow and reap. If you would learn how to manage your money now, in due season, you will have more than enough. But you never start, you never have. And so every time it comes around, and I have people come to me even during this faith harvest preaching. Whenever I preach on finance, it comes up in people's lives. Say, well, you know what? I tried tithing before and it didn't work. You don't try tithing. You do tithing. You don't try it. Well, I tried it for two months. Not long enough. You've got to 
practice that principle, just like a principle of righteousness or discipline or mind renewal or whatever it might be, you have to get into the habit of living that principle so that God can get behind it and begin to push through you the blessings of the Lord. The tithe principle does work. It absolutely works or God is a liar. You can't cut it any other way. If it doesn't work, God is a liar. That's what he says in Malachi 3.10. He says, I want you to test me with this. I want you to prove me. Because I will not do you wrong. I will show you that if you put me first in a covenant of trust, I will pour blessings upon your life and you will receive these things. But it's not just in Malachi 3. Uh, It starts all the way back in Genesis chapter 12 and works all the way through the Bible about people who trust God, believe God, walk with God, and the blessings start getting pushed through their life. But if you never start, you're always behind. Now this is my heart for you. I'm not behind. I have more than enough. It wasn't always that way. We had to start with a salary of $900. We didn't have a big salary when we first got married. That was 1976. It's not 1876. It's not that long ago. And so we didn't have thousands of dollars to live by. We only had uh, really small amounts of money to give. When you're making $900, that's only a $90 check. That's $45 maybe every two weeks or less. When you're only making $1,500, that's only $75 every couple weeks. It doesn't seem like very much money. But when you have lots of pressures to buy a car and buy furniture and lease your house and do this, you have financial pressures. And what you do is you start eating your seed mismanaging your tithe, and before you know it, there's no increase, there's no blessing upon your money, and then you sit there every time saying, I wish I could actually give more. You can give more, but you've got to manage what you have, and you've got to put the seed in the ground, and you've got to wait for it to grow. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Giving and receiving. There can't be a reaping without the sowing. You got to give. A man's in the desert. He's dying of thirst. Stumbles into an old mining cabin. He's almost dead. He crawls up into the corner. The mine had been abandoned for years. Everything had rotted away and all the furniture was broken and animals had been in and out of the houses. And I mean, the things, the mess has been there for many, many years. And he crawls up into the corner to get out of the heat of the day. He's dying up there. He has no food. And as he's uh, pretty much preparing to die, he notices there's a pump in this shack in the corner of his eye. And he thinks, no, that pump's been broken for years. But I'll try. So he crawls over and gets a hold of the pump and starts pumping it. Sure enough, there's nothing. He pumps and pumps nothing. So he, frustrated, throws himself on the floor and beating the floor. I'm going to die. And this is a horrible death. And staring at the pump, I wish there was water. And so he crawls back over into the corner. And after a while, he notices there's a jug next to that pump. But he can't see what's in it because it's covered with dirt. Crawls back over, picks up the jug. Sure enough, it's heavy. He's thinking, I wonder what's in this jug. So he brushes off all the dirt, pulls the cork off the jug, and sure enough, it is filled with water. He is overjoyed. Life is back in his lungs again. He's thinking about the water. And there's a note on top of the cork. The note reads it. The note says, Sir, 
If you wish to drink more than what's in the jug, you have to pour the entire contents of this jug into the pump to prime it. And then you will have all the water you need. Slides down with the jug in his arms and he goes through his reasoning. Who wrote this? Why did they say this? How can I believe them? What happens if they're lying to me? What happens if it's some kind of an idiot that's just doing this just so that I will die? I mean, how long has this note been here? How long has the jug been here? Who knows if the pump is broken anyway? At least I can live for a while with this jug. And he went through all the reasonings. Finally, he says, I'll, I'll try it. So he took and he poured that jug all the way out into that pump. Saying to himself, I'm an idiot. This is a stupid thing to do. He started pumping. What do you think happened? Nothing. No water. Falls on the ground, curses the jug, curses his stupidity, curses the pump several times with vocabulary not sufficient to share here. So he is upset. Crawls back up, and out of his frustration starts pumping again. And after a long period of time, a tiny trickle of water started flowing. He started pumping even more. He says, I can't believe this. Pretty soon, a flow of water started coming out. He drank. He bathed. He cooked a turkey for Thanksgiving. Who knows what he did? Then he put on the note himself. Believe me. You have to pour it all out before it comes back. And he went on his way. It's the principle of faith and fear, natural, spiritual. And this is the greatest principle in my mind. Who wrote the note? Are they trustworthy? Can you believe them? Whoever says it is the most important person in this scenario. If God says something, I really need to listen because he's trustworthy. Now, I want you to take this down. God is the promiser. And if you can learn this, your whole life should change. God is the promiser. What is a promiser? I hope you take this down. One who pledges to another to do or not to do something specified. The promiser we're talking about is God. One who pledges to another to do or not to do something specified. A declaration which gives the person to whom it is made a right to expect or to claim the forbearance or a performance of a specific promise. That's why when we get married, our vows are so important. Even though sometimes our character doesn't live up to our vows. We listen very carefully. We get choked up every time. It's so meaningful when two people stand in front of each other and they say, I will and I do and uh, for better or for worse and richer and poor and health and sickness and I'm going to be there for you even though that doesn't happen in America. Why? Because of the character of the person doesn't always live up to the depth of the words. And so when someone breaks a vow to us, we lose trust in everybody. That's why a person who's gone through a broken vow or broken marriage, it's hard for them to trust people because something's been cut deep in their life. 
When a father breaks a vow to you, whether it's taking you fishing or a basketball game he never came to or a life he never lived for you, it's very hard. I was just speaking to someone the other day. They are so upset with their father. And they're a man that's over 40 years of age now. And their father was a long time ago in their life. But they still have all the wounds. It's very fresh in their mind. He didn't keep his word. He didn't really fulfill what he said he would do. He never kept his word with me. When somebody violates their vow to you, it cuts you deeply. Our whole system is a violation of the word. Our whole American culture is filled with people who lie. That's why people listen to politicians and all the ads during the election time. And what do you do? You don't listen. You don't care how much they say. You don't care who they are because you're not sure they're lying to you. You're not sure they just want to get elected. And so you listen to all their promises and you just kind of say, well, well, yeah, maybe. I mean, they say, well, I'll cut your taxes. I'll give you more money to live on. We'll have new roads and new hospitals and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And they make all these promises. Then they get elected and they only fulfill a few of them. And so you back up and say, I can't trust politicians. I can't trust companies. I can't trust men or women. They break their vows. Who can you trust? And so someone comes along like me, a preacher who preaches the word and says, hey, by the way, You need to trust God with your money. And you kind of, you know, well, um, who said? Or if you really want to kind of get back at me, it's, it's too much Old Testament in your preaching. I'm not sure that is exactly what God wants me to do. Or I can't see God. And I don't know exactly what he'll do with my resources. So how do I know that? And so you can have the same doubt toward God that you have toward people. As I've said so many times, some people have more trust in seers than they do God. You buy a fridge from Sears. You buy a washing machine from Sears. They give you a warranty, a guarantee. That washing machine breaks down. You go back to the company and say, hey, my washing machine breaks down. It has a problem. It's not working. What do they do? They start laughing and say, oh, yeah, we know. <laughs> what do you mean, you know? Well, we give all those guarantees so people will buy, but we don't, we don't take care of them. If you read, read in the very fine print at the bottom, it says, just a joke. We don't, we don't actually do that. I mean, do you think really we're going to go replace everybody's fridge in all of America? What are you, an idiot or something? I mean, if you had that from Sears, you would never buy another shred, a thread, uh, anything from them. Not a washing machine or a fridge or a piece of clothing. You would hate that company. You would say you can't trust those people. But if you call them up and they say, no problem, be right over. Yeah, we have that in stock. Matter of fact, We'll bring the new one over so we can replace it while we're there. Okay, okay. Is it the same size as mine? No, yours is an eight foot. This is a four foot, but it's the same, it's the same one. No, they will bring the same one over. And then they take out your old, bring in the new. And you think, boy, you know what? Sears is a great company. I can't believe how they treated me. And so you're their customer for life. Because they kept their word. Is God not better than Sears? If he gave you a guarantee, would you say, but you know what? I don't know if you're as good as Sears, but I might try it. Turn to neighbor and say, he's better than Sears.
He's been in business a lot longer than Sears. Okay, the promiser. Here's a couple of scriptures for you. Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie. Now, now hear me, church. When you doubt the promises of God, you call God a liar. That's why throughout the Bible, every time God moved in people's lives, He said, now listen, Abraham, I'm going to give you seed, multiply, a father of nations you're going to be. How do I know? God, how can this be? How are you going to fulfill this promise? He comes to Sarah. Now you're going to be the woman who bears. How can this be? I'm 99. He comes to Gideon. Now you're going to be the guy who overcomes the enemy. How can this be? I'm the youngest in the family. You're promising. I can't imagine how this is going to work out. Right through the Bible. From the very first person to the last, there are promises where people struggled with it and God had to come along and He would confirm the promise. He would talk about His character. He would tell them like He did in Numbers 23, 19. I am not like you. I'm not a man. I don't lie. Ever. 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 My word is my character and my character never changes. What a powerful trust. God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should change his mind. Numbers 23, 19. He doesn't change his mind. Does he speak and then does he not act? And then here's the phrase we're working on. Does he promise and not fulfill? No. He always fulfills his promise. First Kings 8 and verse 56. None of his promises fall to the ground. Hebrews 6 and verse 18. Impossible. Come on, shout impossible. Impossible for God to what? Hebrews 6.18 To lie It's impossible for God To lie If God makes you a promise He is good For His word Second Not only the promiser But you trust in the promise itself The promise is what? A pledge A word of honor A vow and oath A warranty A guarantee We use the word covenant. It is the ground for what? Expectation. Hope. Assurance. It's a pledge. When God makes a pledge to me, I have to look at that pledge and say, I know who made it. If a person comes to my door and says, I have a $5,000 check for you, and I know the person. They've been through eight jobs lately. They just got out of jail. They have in a car. They took public transport to get to my house. They walked up to my door, knocked on it, and said, I have a check for you for $5,000. My faith expectation for them to have a good check for 5000 is very low. But if a little man comes up, knocks on my door, and says, uh, I have a check for you for 50000 50000 for me? Yeah, that's right. You're Frank DeMazzi, right? I am. I have a check for $50,000 for you. And, and who might you be, sir? My name is Thomason. Thomason, Thomason car, Thomason, Thomason, Toyota, Thomason, all the car places, you're Thomas. Yep, I'm Thomason. Let me have the check. (laughs) Why? Because I expect that he can fulfill it. Don't you know that's why God says in the Bible, remember, I made the heavens and the earth and all that's in the earth, all the cattle on the hills. All the gold, all the silver, the very breath in your lungs. I'm God. I know what I'm doing. When God makes a promise, 
It's a pledge of honor. Here's a couple of scriptures. Psalm 67 and verse 6. The earth shall yield her increase. Our own God shall bless us. Philippians 4.19. God shall supply all your need according to his resource. Psalms 84.11. The Lord will give grace and mercy. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Joshua 1.8, I'll make your way successful. Deuteronomy 28.2, and all these blessings shall overtake you. Psalms 1 and verse 3, when you put your roots down, you're going to have good fruit and success will be stamped on your life. Psalm 37.4, I give you the desires of your hearts. Psalm 91 verse 14, call on me and I will answer you and I will honor you. Proverbs 10.22, the blessing of the Lord makes one rich, add no sorrow to it. Proverbs 22.4, by humility and fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. I know there's some prerequisites to this. In principalized living, in the fear of the Lord, and how you honor God and how you have faith for His Word. But you can be that kind of a person and open up the conduit of God's blessings into your life. Can I hear an amen? amen. I want you to be a receiver in rhythm of your giving, and I want you to honor God for God's word. The word receive would go something like this. Here's my definition for receive. And we'll pray after we go through this definition. But I want you to hear this. This just takes up all the different words in the Bible. When it speaks about receive, this is what it means. To take or receive with open hands. To take and receive with open hands. I want all of you just for one second. Would you just open your hands? You know, this is a receiving posture. It's a faith posture. Instead of shaking your fist at God or turning your palms or just putting your hands in your pocket, say, oh, God, I know you're going to bless me. Put your hands in your pocket. No, a receiver is a person who puts his hands and his heart and says, Lord, I expect, I expect your word to be fulfilled in my life. And Lord, I call it in. I call your blessing. And why? He said, Abraham, I want to bless you. Why does God want to bless you? He said, Abraham, that you might be a blessing to others. I want to bless you that you might be able to say to Pakistan, hey, we got a little bit of money coming your way. To Uganda, we want you to finish your building. To Romania, we want to help you with you. Second, to gracefully receive from another. I had you do the little exercise this morning, just giving away a little bit of money, just to let you know it's fun to give to anybody. It's fun. It's adventurous. It's fulfilling. Why? It's the God nature in you. It's also fun to receive. Don't you hate it when you try to obey God and give something to the person? Says, no, no, I can't take that. No, 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 don't, 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 don't do that. No way. No, you, you go give it to somebody worse off than me. And they say, we can't find anybody worse off than you. <laughs> when we thought about that, you came to our mind. No, 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 don't give it to me. Send it to the mission. No, don't you do that to people. I, I, I'm guilty of this somewhat myself. Even the other day, someone gave me a check, and I just said, hey, I didn't come here to receive anything. You take that check and send it out. And the person looked me in the eye and said, you're going to rob me of sowing into your life? You, the preacher of sowing and reaping, you're going to rob me? No. No, I won't. If you want to give it to missions, Frank, you give it to missions. You want to give it to someone else, you give it. But I'm going to give it to you because I'm going to sow into your life. So would you just gracefully receive this? Yes, I, I will. So I took it home and... 
And I said, Sharon, what should I do with this? She goes, I know what to do with it. <laughs> off, off we went. That's the truth, too. Oh, okay. Sowing and reaping into God's life right here. Okay. If you don't know what to do with it, take it and give it to someone else. But don't deny people the privilege of sowing into your life. Sometimes I have people want to give me tickets, basketball tickets, football tickets. And, and I learned a long time ago, it offends them because they want to bless me. I'm, I'm a feeder. I'm a preacher. I'm a pastor. I'm one of many on our staff that do this. But you probably know me more because I do it more. And people want to bless me. And I used to say, no, I'll just, uh, just give that to someone else. They want to give me their keys to their vacation. I'll say, hey, go take a week off. Now what I do is I say to them, thank you very much. Now, if I can't use this, would you mind if I give it to someone else? No, 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 Pastor Frank. We just felt to give it to you. You do whatever you want. And then now I have eight tickets to the Seahawks. To the December game. Now, I can give it to whoever I want. Don't ask me. I've already promised somebody. But see, I receive it and then I can give it. Or the vacation house or the free airplane ticket or something from a... a Someone else seeds into my life. The government sends me money. Whoever. Usually they take, not give. But sometimes. So that I can seed it back out. Be a gracious receiver. Can I hear an amen? amen? To receive means to take hold of what I receive, of what you receive, to expect results, to expect results of what has been sown or invested. Some people say, Frank, do, do you give? To receive? No, I, I give to lose. Isn't that the principle of the kingdom? Give and lose. Well, you mean you give to receive back stuff? No, no, I give to lose myself. I expect it to not grow. I expect to lose it. I just, that's my... No way! Nobody in the kingdom of God, not even Jesus himself, would teach you give to lose. You give to multiply. Even his seed, his life, sown under the ground, was multiplied with millions of people. You don't give to lose. You also don't give to receive, to eat it upon yourself and waste it on yourself. You give it to become a river. A river. Expect results. Welcome what is coming with open arms. Everyone say, it's on its way. To prepare to carry the load. Everyone say, the blessing is going to be heavy. Wouldn't that be awesome? You say, oh, Lord, I just can't carry any more of these blessings. I have too many promotions, too many surprises, too much money in the mailbox. There's too many. I mean, things are just, it's mind-boggling. I can't take any more, Lord. Just please, I can't carry this. Wouldn't it be awesome? How many say, I like to be tested with that? <laughs> A heavy load of blessing to receive with deliberate and ready reception, receive gladly and without reserve, to make room for what is... To be received is to be a receiver. 